Exodus 20, 21 through 24. And the people remained at a distance as Moshe approached the thick darkness where Elohim was. Then Yahweh told Moshe, This is what you are to say to the Israelites. You have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. You must not make gods of silver to rival me. You must not make gods of gold for yourself. You must make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and your goats as well as your cattle. I will come to you and bless you in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. And it's an absolute joy to be here again to teach the word of Yahweh. I'm excited to teach Yahweh's word. Especially the law of Yahweh. Especially to a group of people as wonderful as all you. Beautiful, beautiful people. I love everybody. We had a good Bible study earlier, good food. Now we're going to go through the lesson today with a sermon. I want you to remember as we go through these verses today that the scripture says that the world is passing away and the desires of the world are passing away. But he who does the will of the Father abideth forever. Abideth forever. Never forget that. All of this that we're doing now, it will all be over someday. But he that doeth the will of the Father will live forever in the kingdom, immortality. What's done for Yahweh will last. Everything else will pass. We ended last week with Prophet Moshe approaching the thick darkness where Elohim was. He had a special relationship with Yahweh. Verse 22 tells us he spoke directly to Moshe. Yahweh did. But it was then relayed to the people. And these laws that we're starting to go through, they're for Yahweh's Israel people. But by Israel, I don't just mean native-born or physical. I also mean people who have said that are not native-born, but they've said, I want to follow the mighty one of Israel. As Deuteronomy 4 says, the nations will see Israel keeping these commandments and they'll say, what a great mighty one that you guys have. For what nation is there on earth that has a mighty one with such wise statutes and knowledgeable laws as your mighty one has? So whichever of those two people you are, these laws are for you when you covenant or agree to serve Yahweh. At the end of verse 22, Yahweh says, You have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. Now we've already seen last week in Exodus 19 that Yahweh came down on the mountain and spoke to the people, thunder, lightning, trumpet blast, mountain shook, fire, and he spoke. So the word heaven here does not mean the ultimate abode of Yahweh. The Hebrew word shamayim, it can be understood as the sky. And so what's taking place here is the people are standing at the base of the mountain. They're looking up to heaven, the sky, and they're listening to Yahweh speak with his mighty voice. That's the best understanding there. Of He spoke to them from heaven at the top of the mountain. They ra'ah. Remember that word? They experience. They witness Yahweh. Now it's on the basis of the speaking voice that Yahweh speaks verse 23 here. They heard the very voice of Yahweh. Yahweh spoke the ten words, the ten commandments in Exodus 21 through 17. They heard a voice, but they did not see a shape. 
They did not see a thorn. The JPS Torah commentary on Exodus 20, 23 renders the verse as this. You yourselves saw that I spoke to you from the very heavens. With me, therefore, you shall not make any gods of silver, nor shall you make for yourselves any gods of gold. I want you to notice that the commandment to not make the gods of silver or the gods of gold, it comes on the basis of the people hearing the voice but seeing no form. You've seen, I've spoke to you, you've ra'ad, I spoke to you from heaven, therefore, don't make gods of silver and gods of gold. We see this linked up in another text in Deuteronomy 4. Deuteronomy is a recounting of the first giving of the law at Mount Sinai when the law was codified at Mount Sinai. Deuteronomy, about 40 years later, is the second giving of the law. That's what the word Deuteronomy means. Deutero is second and nomos is law. It's the second giving of the law. But Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. We're going to do a little reading here. Pay attention carefully here. Notice the, the words in the text. The day you stood before Yahweh, your mighty one, at Horeb. Another name for Mount Sinai, by the way, Mount Horeb. Yahweh said to me, Assemble the people before me, and I will let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and may instruct their children. You came near and stood at the base of the mountain. That sound familiar? Exodus 19, Exodus 20. You stood at the base of the mountain. A mountain blazing with fire into the heavens, the sky, and enveloped in a dense black cloud. Then Yahweh spoke to you from the fire. You kept hearing the sound of the words, but did not see a form. There was only a voice. He declared His covenant to you. He commanded you to follow the Ten Commandments, which He wrote on two stone tablets. Now, go from there to Deuteronomy four fifteen through 18. We continue. Be extremely careful for your own good because you did not see any form on the day Yahweh spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Not to act corruptly and make an idol for yourselves in the shape of any figure, a male or female form, or the form of any beast on the earth, any winged creature that flies in the sky, any creature that crawls on the ground, or any fish in the waters under the earth. Then you can read the whole chapter, but a little bit further down in 33 and 35 and 36, the verses continues and it says, Has a people ever heard the Mighty One's voice speaking from the fire as you have and lived? You were shown these things so that you would know that Yahweh is the Mighty One. There is no other besides Him. He let you hear His voice from heaven to instruct you. He showed you His great fire on earth and you heard His words from the fire. Over and over again the emphasis is they heard but they did not see a shape. They heard Yahweh speak. He was gracious to let them hear His voice. So the command to not make an idol in the shape of anything is directly tied to the Israelites only hearing the voice of Yahweh but not seeing the shape or the form of Yahweh. Exodus 20 verse 23 in my HCSB puts it very nicely. It says, You must not make gods of silver to rival me. Good translation. This is a reiteration of the second commandment of the ten in Exodus 20. I believe it's verses 4 through 6. Yahweh is telling them, Do not make an image or likeness of me. That's the understanding of, of that commandment. Yahweh is not against making images and likenesses of things. Uh, what He commands against specifically is the making of and or the bowing down and worshiping of images and idols that are an attempt to depict him on the earth. 
whether you make them attempt to depict him or you make them and then bow down to them. He's against both of those. And it's because he did not show the Israelites his shape or form. They should not try to depict what the Almighty looks like. Um, nor make some kind of statue to represent Yahweh on the earth. You know, sometimes I see pictures in magazines or children's books or religious memes on social media or even in sometimes secular cartoon comics and they depict the Almighty as an old man. And that's a direct violation of the second commandment. It's a violation also of Exodus 20, verse 23. You heard me speak, therefore don't make any gods of silver or gods of gold to rival me. Don't try to depict what I look like. Even if a company that prints a picture Bible, I have several here in my house, if they're trying to do something good, it's not good because Yahweh Almighty is meant in this way to be kept at a distance. There's ways, obviously, that He's close to us. We just sang a text from 1 John where we're children of Elohim because He's adopted us into His family based on what He's done for us through His unique Son. But that doesn't mean that Yahweh still shouldn't be kept at a distance in some ways. We talked a lot last week about the fear of Yahweh. It's becoming less and less preached and less and less believed. But the Scripture teaches in both Old and New Testaments to fear Yahweh. We've got to keep Him at a distance because He is the Almighty. He is the Most High. There's no one as great as Him. So this is part of fearing Yahweh. This is the exact point of the Second Commandment. It's saying, don't try and depict me, Yahweh says. Don't make something to represent me. Don't bow down to something you make to represent me. You did not see my shape or my form. You only heard my voice. So what's happening now is we're beginning to get into specific laws. And we're going to cover a lot of laws. And we need to remember, we need to remember, brothers and sisters, that the law of Yahweh is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. Don't forget that when we're going through these laws because some people are going to say these laws are just outdated, they're archaic, they're primitive, but the word of Yahweh abides forever. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but Yahweh's word abides forever. Amen. Stick with Yahweh's word. Now there's a flip side to this. If we continue to read the text, and that's what we do, we just go verse by verse, we teach the Bible that way here. That's the best way to do it. If we keep reading in verse 24... Verse 23 tells us what not to make or how not to worship Yahweh. It says, you must not make gods of silver to rival me, nor gods of gold for yourselves. And then verse 24 tells us what to make. You must make this. There's a parallel there. You must not make. You must make. Okay? Now, this is where it's going to get strange for a lot of people. <laughs> because we are so far removed from true worship due to traditions and doctrines of men. This is where I even am distanced from a lot of people in our own movement. Um, and I don't, I don't believe things or teach things for the purpose of trying to make myself different. I just try to read the Scriptures and be honest and not go against what my genuine conscience is, is telling me that it says. Before I get to verse 24, what I'm about to say, I say not to belittle anybody but it needs to be said, what is taking place in many churches in the world when a man gets up to speak to people is not preaching. It's not. My son show me clips of preachers all the time on social media, little clips that people take of them to try to show forth cultic and heretical-like practices and 
it's not preaching. They're not preaching the word. Uh, they're getting up there, they may read a verse, and then they just preach what they want to preach. But there's no teaching of the word, there's no instruction. It's not preaching. It is because people have turned the exposition of the word into a pep talk or something that sounds cool or just so they can rant on their own whatever. That is why people leave a church over and over and over for years and years and never graduate to a higher level of learning. If you, everybody in here, no matter whether you're little... Rowan's age or Brother Jerry Kendall, Elder Jerry Kendall's age, if you don't leave the service and have something to put in the backpack, have something that you've learned, have something that you can put into practicality in your life, I have not done my job as a minister of the gospel, as a servant of the gospel and the law. I have not done my job. And what's going on in, in many churches, it's, it's just not, it's not scriptural. It's foreign to the text, not just of the Old Testament, but it's foreign to the text of the New Testament. Now, these verses we're going to go over today, this next verse, we're going to cover one more verse today. This verse has been handwritten in scrolls for thousands of years. And now it's been printed in Bibles for hundreds of years. And this verse was once believed by followers of Yahweh. But people are never taught these things because the office that Yeshua gave from heaven upon his resurrection of pastor and teacher, the office of pastor and teacher is becoming more and more rare. And it's not that there aren't pastors and teachers. They're just not well known because that's not what's popular. It's not what you see on the TV. I guarantee you there's little assemblies all over the earth like ours. They may not agree with us on everything, and that's fine. We're not up here trying to get everybody to agree with us on everything. We want to get people devoted to the Word. I tell people I do not want my children to grow up and believe like me. I want them to grow up and believe the Scriptures. That's what my prayer is. When I pray, I don't say, carry on what Dad believes because Dad might have a blind spot. And one day when my children get my age and they, let's say I'm gone, they say, we love Dad and he served Yahweh, but we don't think he was right here because the Scripture says this here and we're going to follow the Scriptures instead of what Dad believed. That's what I want for my children. I don't want them to follow me. I want them to follow Yahweh. I want them to follow Yahweh. So I'm here to do my part to try and reverse that. I do not want to be guilty of not teaching you Yahweh's law. James chapter 3 verse 1 says, Let not many of you be teachers, knowing that you will incur a stricter judgment. I want to leave this assembly each week in a way that you'll have something practical to chew on, to ruminate on. We are not here to just fellowship. That's part of it. Praise Yahweh. We are the family of Yahweh. And it's great to have fellowship with brothers and sisters. We've done a lot of that today. But more importantly and ultimately, we're here to learn how to love and to serve our Creator. And we do that by following what He says. Let me repeat that. We do that by following what He says. Not what Brother Matthew says and Brother Jerry say, not what Brother Jerry says. I guarantee He would tell you the same thing. We do it by following what the Creator says. As Brother Sandy has said, if your wife likes roses and you know that she likes roses, and she doesn't like carnations, don't bring your wife home carnations because you like carnations. Don't look at those carnations and say, boy, these are pretty. I think she'll like them this time. And you know good and well she don't like them and she wants roses and you show up with some carnations. No, 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 no. You get her what she wants. 
When Yahweh tells us how to serve Him, we don't say, well, I think I'll sprinkle a little of this in there and sprinkle a little of that in there. I'll do a little of this and a little of that. No, no, forget all that. Just do what He says. You'll be safe. Deuteronomy 4, verse 2. Do not add commandments. Do not take away commandments. We read what He likes, what He wants, and we do the best to put that into practice. Then as we learn better, we do better. Cornelius learned better, he did better. Apollos learned better, he did better. So again, verse 23 says, You must not make gods of silver or gold to rival me, but instead, verse 24, You must make an earthen altar for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats as well as your cattle. I will come to you and bless you in every place. KJV says all the places, plural. It's very significant. It's not singular. It's plural. All the places where I cause my name to be remembered. Yahweh tells us here right after the giving of the Ten Commandments what He wants His followers to make and how He wants to be served. He says, don't make this. Instead, make this. Make an altar of earth, dirt, soil. And then sacrifice animals on the altar. Burnt offerings. That's in Hebrew the olah. Olah means to ascend. A burnt offering would be, it's not the same thing, but it's just an illustration. It'd be like me taking out a $100 bill and setting it on fire. I don't gain anything from it. It's, it's just an ascending. That's what the burnt offering is. And then he says, and your fellowship offerings. That's the shelamim. That's the peace offerings or the alliance and friendship offerings is another word. It goes back to that word shalom, peace, friendship, wholeness, prosperity, health, wealth, all of that is packed into that word shalom or shalamim, gift, uh, peace offerings, fellowship offerings. And he then says, I will come to you and I will bless you in what place? Not in one place, not in one place, but in every place where he causes his name to be remembered, that's HCSB, or recorded. King James Version, or in the JPS, it says, every place that I cause my name to be mentioned. Now, my Anchor Bible Commentary by William Prop it says here on this verse, listen to this. This is important because, listen, if you get good quality commentaries on the Bible written by actual scholars and not just by Baptist and Presbyterian and Methodist preachers, but by actual scholars... They may not follow what they write, but they're usually honest with the text and what the text is saying. If you get good scholarly commentaries, they may not even follow it. Every commentary I've got on the book of Exodus uses the name Yahweh or YHWH all through the commentary. Now, if you meet them, they don't use it like we do. They don't use it regularly, but they know that's the Creator's name, so they use it in the commentary because that's what the text says. And William Prop here says on this text... This verse articulates the popular and presumably original notion that one may sacrifice spontaneously to Yahweh wherever one chooses rather than resorting to a temple and priesthood. A little bit further down. An alternative interpretation of Azkir, which or Zakar, that's uh, where I cause my name to be remembered or mentioned um, or memorialized. That's the Hebrew word Zakar. Is I cause to be pronounced... Compare the exegetical variant you pronounce. If so, wherever a person calls upon Yahweh's name, it is as if Yahweh has commanded him to do so. Forthwith, Yahweh draws near and the site becomes a sanctuary and source of blessing. End of quote. Now, the point he's making on this alternate reading is that some manuscripts of Exodus 20, 24 
in the Syriac and Aramaic text have Yahweh saying, not in every place I cause my name to be remembered, but in every place that you cause it to be remembered or that you pronounce my name. Now, I think either reading is fine. We find both readings in the text in various manuscripts. Ultimately, it is Yahweh who causes us worshipers to remember or to pronounce His name in our speech. Okay. Now, I know that I, I'm already going to get in trouble by teaching this. <laughs> I know that because I already caused a firestorm on Facebook the other day when I wrote one small sentence that all I said was that Yahweh loves animal sacrifices and then I quoted Exodus 20 verse 24 and it blew up. I had people calling me demon possessed and all this kind of stuff. And that's fine. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I, I can handle that. But it's just it's strange that when you just quote a verse and just write one, a one-sentence commentary that folks treat you like that. But isn't that what the verse says? I mean, put yourself back in, in the shoes of the Israelites that first heard this from Yahweh through Moses. They heard this. Isn't that what it says? Why, why do we want to try to make it say something else? Yahweh does not want us making images of Him even if we use precious metals like silver or gold, you must not make gods of silver. You must not make gods of gold. Precious metals. Even if you use expensive stuff, don't try to depict me. That's how pagans approach their mighty ones. They depict their mighty ones with images. No, the way the Israelites approach their mighty one is out of just a simple primitive altar of dirt. Dirt. Just get you some dirt couple of wheelbarrow fools and mound you up an altar and offer your animals to me. Worship to Yahweh does not have to be extravagant or complicated. We can find Yahweh in the simple. Go get some dirt, Yahweh says. Worship me. This shows that it's okay to worship Yahweh like this while you're exiled or by yourself or apart from an established government under Yahweh. Now, I do look forward to the kingdom. I look forward to the genuine one nation under, not God, but under Yah. God is just a title. One nation under Yah in the future. But right now, Yahweh's people are scattered. Thankfully, we're blessed to have little fellowships like this over the earth. Thankfully, we are. But we're in a wilderness experience, wandering in our land like strangers and pilgrims in the desert. I know that we're wandering around like strangers because I just had a couple stare at me the other day when I walked through a parking lot. And I wondered why they were looking so intently. And I forgot because I, I, I seem normal to myself because I see me every day in the mirror. They were looking at me and finally I waved and smiled at them. So they wouldn't stop looking. I got in the car and I thought, oh, they've never seen somebody that looks like me maybe. Or I look out of the ordinary. Um, where'd this guy come from? We're strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Where Yahweh has placed me, this, we're at my property right now. I got a little meager three acres that Yahweh's blessed me with, and I love it. But where Yahweh has placed me is sacred ground. This is sacred ground right here. Our assembly over there is sacred ground. We've dedicated these plots to the Almighty. I do my best to maintain His rule of law on this three acres. I do my very best. I'm not perfect by no means, but I do my best. The Shema is on my gates down there. And it's on my doorpost. Sometimes I have uh, Amazon or the Uber Eats people ask me, what's that on the gates? And I get to just share a little nugget with them, drop a little nugget with them. 
It's the Shema. Love Yahweh and love your neighbor, it says. Uh, this land right here lays rest every seven years. I don't plant. I don't go, I don't go over six years in a row without uh, uh, planting on this land. It lays rest on the seventh year. The first fruits from my garden and my, my bushes and my trees, I, I take them to our feasts and we share them. As the Shabbat begins, I close the gate and everything stops. Some nights I'll be wired up. Last night, Tisha and I were laying in bed and I looked over and I said, I'm tired. She said, it's the Sabbath. <laughs> and I said, boy, it feels different, doesn't it? She said, it's the Sabbath. I thought, yeah, honey, you're right. <laughs> we hallow His name in song here. My place is one of those every places where Yahweh causes His name to be mentioned. Your place should be dedicated in the same way. It's holy because that's where you serve Yahweh. That's what makes it holy. It's not that it's special in and of itself, but it's because a child of the one true king stepped onto that property and dedicated it to the Almighty. Even if it's a little bedroom. Somebody says, well, Brother Matthew, I just rent out a bedroom in a house. Dedicate the bedroom to Yahweh Almighty. Well, I live in an apartment. Dedicate the apartment to Yahweh Almighty. Listen, we're in the world, not of the world. We know everything's going on around us, but what Yahweh has given you, dedicate it to Yahweh. And don't let any sin in the camp. It's holy because you serve Yahweh there. All the world around you might be doing their own thing, but you can dedicate your place to Yahweh and you can make sure Yahweh's rule of law is followed on your place no matter how small your place is. People have asked me, catch this, people have asked me about the commandment in Deuteronomy 7 where Yahweh tells the Israelites, when you go into the land of Canaan, smash the sacred pillars and you know, break down the altars. Get rid of the carved images. Somebody says, Brother Matthew, I'm zealous. I think we ought to go up and tear down the obelisk there in <laughs> underground Atlanta or wherever. And if, sometimes you'll see them in the graveyard. The commandment was given to the Israelites because Yahweh was giving them that land. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, I think it is, Yahweh said, I don't give you this land because you're so righteous, but I give you this land because of the wickedness of the nations and because of the oath that I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, that's Deuteronomy 9. Yahweh was giving them that land and therefore that was going to be their land and they were to get rid of all the pagan worship in their land. So, the way that you obey that practically, Deuteronomy 7, is not by going up to the capital and trying to tear down an obelisk or going up to the local church and trying to tear down an obelisk. <laughs> A lot of people don't know about that. But you purify the land Yahweh has given you. You purify the land Yahweh's given you. When you plant yourself and your family on a piece of land, get rid of everything that's not of Yahweh. If somebody that lived there before you had something that's not of Yahweh, get rid of it. Nip it in the bud. Cut it off. Cut it off. And then implement Yahweh's rule of law on your property. Write the commandments on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. We cite it every week after our service, at the end of our service. The gates of an Israelite house represent entering holy space. You, you drive through or walk through in olden times the Shema. Someone drives up, they know a worshiper of Yahweh lives there because His very name is on the gate. When I wrote the Shema on my gate, I wrote it in English, but when I got to the name, Brother Jerry, I wrote it in Hebrew. I don't know if I have to, but I thought, I'm going to revert back to how it was written in Hebrew. And I wrote it in Hebrew. These altars harken back to the worship of Yahweh by the patriarchs in Genesis. 
Genesis 12, 6 through 8, we read, Abram passed through the land to the side of Shechem at the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. But Yahweh appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your offspring. So he built an altar there to Yahweh while the Canaanites were still in the land. But Yahweh appeared to him there. That's actually Ra'ah again. Abraham experienced Yahweh. And he built an altar there to Yahweh. From there he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to Yahweh and worshipped him. Literally that word worship is to invoke the sacred name. To invoke it, to call, call upon Yahweh's name. So Abram was in the land of Canaan and idol worshipping Canaanites were there. But when Yahweh ra'ad to Abraham, Yahweh came and spoke to him is what that means. Abram realized the place that he stood was hallowed so he dedicated it to Yahweh. It was one of those every places where Yahweh causes His name to be mentioned. It did not matter what was going on around. He marked the territory with an altar. He pronounced the sacred name. What was the altar for? Well, I'll tell you what it was for. And I'm not against praying at an altar necessarily. But the altar wasn't necessarily for praying there. The altar was for sacrifice. In the book of Genesis... Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are all recorded as building altars to Yahweh in various places that they dedicated to Yahweh. Noah is one of my favorite accounts. Yahweh tells him, come out of the ark after the flood waters rescinded. And they had to be ready to come out because him and the family and all them animals been in there for a year. If you read the text. I was talking to somebody the other day and they thought he was only in the ark for 40 days. And I said it rained 40 days and 40 nights, but he was in the ark for a year. You can read that in the Genesis account. Well, Noah brought him and his family out, all the animals, and then we read in Genesis 8, 20 through 21, Then Noah built an altar to Yahweh. <laughs> we made it through. I'm going to dedicate this piece of land to Yahweh. We built an altar to Yahweh. He took some of every kind of clean animal and every kind of clean bird. And we're way back here in Genesis. We had not made it to Leviticus 11 yet, but there's already clean animals and clean birds because the clean and unclean designations, they didn't just show up in the time of Moses. They've been ever since Yahweh taught His law to Adam and then Adam taught it to Seth and then Seth and so forth and, and so on. And He offered burnt offerings on the altar. Again, that's the Olah, the ascending offering. A burnt offering, by the way, doesn't have anything to do with sin. Matter of fact, most of the offerings, the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament don't have anything to do with sin. There's about five different types of offerings. If you summarize them, three of them don't have to do with sin. Two of them do, the guilt and the sin offering. But the burnt offering, the peace offering, and the grain offering, which, by the way, is a vegetarian offering. The grain offering is. Your King James will call it the meat offering. But there's no meat in the meat offering. <laughs> the word meat used to mean food back in the old, older times, right? Minka, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Verse 21, when Yahweh smelled the pleasing aroma, notice it was pleasing to Yahweh. You ever pass by a good barbecue and you smell it? You think, well, that smells good. Well, this text says, when Yahweh smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of man, even though man's inclination is evil from his youth. And I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done. There was no temple there. Noah was the priest of his home. There was no government. It was just Noah and his family, eight souls. As a matter of fact, they were over there on the mountains of Ararat, which is what we call modern-day Turkey. That's where they were at. They were over there in, in Turkey, 
Over there in the ancient east where all the true religion actually began. It didn't begin here in the west. The true religion began in the east. The worship of the Most High. Over there in Turkey, there is Noah building this altar. And he offers up this burnt offering. Noah dedicated that ground to Yahweh with an altar. And he offered the Allah, the ascending offering to Yahweh. He was so thankful. The reason he did it is it was something that was of expense to him. It was something that was of great wealth and measure to him. And he said, Yahweh, you brought us through and I'm going to give you something back. As I close today, I want you to remember this. This is how Yahweh says he wants to be worshipped. I know people think it's crazy. People think I'm crazy. They do. People think I'm nuts and I've lost my mind. Especially PETA <laughs> and the modern day vegetarian vegan movement. Worldly vegan movement. I'm not saying everybody that's a vegan is worldly. I'm not saying everybody that chooses to be a vegetarian or mostly vegetarian is worldly. I'm, I'm just against people that get upset if you eat meat. And I'll address all that. I will talk about in, in messages to come next week maybe. I'll talk about how that we should not be cruel to animals. But at the same time, they, the clean ones at least, the clean animals were created to be received with thanksgiving for them who believe and know the truth. First Timothy 4, 3-5. through 5. Amen. I will talk about Genesis 1 where even before the fall into sin, man and woman were given dominion over the animal kingdom to rule and subdue the animals before sin ever entered. And we'll pull up a scholarly paper to define the words rule and subdue. Uh, once again, this is something that scholars know. You just don't hear about it in your average church. Uh, we'll talk more about altars, animal sacrifices, eating meat versus vegetarianism. And we'll just take our time. We'll go through all of it. We're not going to get in a hurry. We don't want to botch any of it. So I would just like to ask you all to read these verses. Exodus 20, 22 through 24. Read them every day. That's what we're going to be on again next week. Just we're going to develop verse 24 some more. And just ask Yahweh to help you believe what they say. Because sometimes our flesh doesn't want to believe what a verse says. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall think on it day and night. Be careful to do what Yah tells you to do so that you will have good success. Don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left, but stay on the narrow path. Be careful to do what Yah tells you to do so that you will have good success.